We're going to look at Ecclesiastes and chapter 5. So if you want to turn with me, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I want to look at um, that um, passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. <coughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God, and draw near to hear, rather than to give sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart utter hasty, hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through many activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth you know, cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity, but fear God. If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter, for high officials watches over high officials, and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all, even the king is served from the field. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their own eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There's a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return, to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so he shall go. And what profit has he who has labored for the, for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. And as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy 
of his heart. May God you know, be pleased to um, minister to us as we come and look at um, this Ecclesiastes in you know, chapter 5. Okay, let us turn to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And uh, this evening, I want to draw your attention to verses 1 and 2 of um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And um, it reads like this. <clears throat> Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. And let, let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is um, a record of Solomon's spiritual you know, journey. Solomon sets out to find out what the purpose and meaning of life, you know, what, is, what it is. And um, he experimented with all sorts of things. You know, here's a man who had um, all the resources to experiment and to find out what life is all about. And um, he concluded that um, life, most of, most of the time, is nothing but vanity. You know, there's no purpose to a lot of things that, you know, we do. He was a very wise man, as you know. God gave him great wisdom. And then he applied his wisdom, you know, to find out, you know, the purpose and meaning to life. And um, he concluded that even wisdom is all vanity. And so he indulged himself. He thought if he indulged himself, he might, you know, at least, you know, find out something. And so, again, you know, having so much um, in terms of resources and so on, he indulged himself in pleasure. You know, he built, you know, houses. And Solomon's houses, as I said last time, it's not a three-bedroom semi. You know, he, his houses are, you know, very lavish, you know, affairs. Um, he built the temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you saw, you know, the, um, the temple in Jerusalem, it's, it's incredible. The stones that they use to build them, each stone is so huge. You wonder how they actually carried it. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's a magnificent building. And um, it took him um, seven years to build the um, temple in Jerusalem. And then he built his own house. It took him 13 years. You know. And then he built a house you know, for, for his wife. And um, he built the forest of Lebanon. He built all kinds of buildings. You know, he was very interested in building. And uh, he indulged himself in uh, building houses. And um, he built gardens as well. You know, he loved um, you know, gardens. He built a lot of gardens and then um, parks. You know, planted them with all kinds of you know, fruit trees and so on. And um, he had male and female slaves, you know, to his heart's content and so on. And then he, you know, he, you know, he experimented with wine. He planted vineyards, not just a vineyard, but vineyards. He had vineyards all over the place. And um, in the end, he concluded that they were all nothing but vanity. That there's no profit in them all. And then he began to observe people in their work, in their toil. He observed them at work, and he came to the conclusion that, um, you know, there's no profit 
in man's toil. Man, you know, works because he has to. He works because he has to eat. He has to clothe himself and so on and so forth. But most people, and it's still the same today, most people you talk to, they don't actually enjoy what they do. They don't enjoy their work, but they do it because of necessity. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Solomon concluded, now this is also vanity. So far, Solomon has spoken to himself in what he has observed and what he has experimented with. He has observed man's secular life, mainly his work, and saw that it did not give him the happiness and the lasting satisfaction you know, that he craved for. Now, in this passage that we've read, he is asking the question, can religion you know, give him that happiness that he craves, that he longs for? Can religion actually satisfy you know, man? Can it give him you know, lasting peace and satisfaction? And so he observes, you know, the attitude of people, you know, worshipping in the temple in Jerusalem and elsewhere. What he saw was not encouraging. It was not encouraging at all. And now he addresses his hearers regarding what he has observed. And then he gives instructions in the form of six short, pitchy statements expressing the conduct in God's house. This really is about our approach to God. And it's very, very important. So I want us to look at these six statements, these six instructions of um, Solomon you know, to, uh, to you and I. Um, he addressed this to his hearers in those days and um, it's still very, very valid for you and I. So let us look at these instructions that um, Solomon you know, gave to his hearers. And the first thing he says to them in verse 1, he says, walk wisely or walk prudently when you go to the house of God. Now, the house of God is wherever, you know, God meets with his people. We're looking at this last Thursday in the prayer meeting. But here, Solomon actually means, you know, the temple in Jerusalem. He says to, you know, those he was writing to and to you and I, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. In, and here he's speaking about the reverence you know, due to God when we come to worship him. Our primary aim in coming to, the ch to church is to meet with the Lord. Just, you know, um, you know quoted that verse you know, we sang you know, earlier on. That, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, God is here to meet with us. That's what, the, that's what the aim of coming to church is. God is here to meet with us. It's that chosen flock, you know, to greet. So God is here, and we have come primarily to meet with him. And that's why we worship him. We sing hymns and so on, is to worship him. And remember what the Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so God is with his people. And wherever you know, God plants his name, he is there with his people. Now, what makes this gathering of people special? It's not, we're not here because of the you know, wine is flowing or anything like that. Not at all. What makes our gathering special is the presence of God himself. It is the unseen, the spiritual 
but real presence of God in his assembled people. You know, to walk wisely when you go to the house of God, you know, speaks of our conduct when we come to God's house, how we behave in God's house. And here Solomon is saying that we should conduct ourselves wisely when we come to the house of God because God is here. We should conduct ourselves wisely. God cannot be approached casually. We should come to God's house with a sense of reverence and awe. He sees everything and you know, even the secrets of our hearts are known to him. We read in Psalm 139 and verse 1, it says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. God knows everything about us and God knows our hearts when we come to him. And so, when we come to God's house, we should approach God with a sense of reverence and awe. Secondly, he tells us, um, still in verse 1, that you know, to, draw, you know, to draw near is, you know, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. To draw near to listen is better than the sacrifice of fools. Now, the reading of the law and the prophets formed a feature of the temple services in the Old Testament. The reading and the explaining of the word of God and applying it were also a feature of the New Testament church where Christians gather together. Well, we read, we read this on Thursday. Let's read it again. Um, you know, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and, um, you know, verse 16. And this is what it says. It's actually referring to our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom... He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all you know, who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then, verse 21, he stood up and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled. And he expounded to them that scripture. In Acts chapter 13, in Acts chapter 13 we see exactly you know, something similar. Um, to that, when the apostles, you know, went to the synagogue on the Lord's day, Acts chapter thirteen and verse thirteen. It says now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any words of exhortation for the people, you know, say on. So they called them you know, to come and to exhort them. So that's what tends to happen in the um, temple 
in um, Jerusalem and in most synagogues in those days. The law and the prophets will be read. And now Solomon is saying to us here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that um, it is better to draw near to God to listen to the reading and to the preaching of God's word. Not just to listen, but to hear. In a large gathering of professed worshippers, there's reason to fear that some worshippers, you know, nothing, you know, is, um, is, is real. For a lot of worshippers, it's just a form. It's just a tradition. There's no heart engagement in what they are doing. The worship or the sacrifice of such people is only outward, just like the Pharisees. Their hearts are absent from the service. The sacrifice of a formal and irreverent worshippers is justly called the sacrifice of fools. When they come to the house of God, they do not consider the greatness of God that they pretend to worship. They do not consider their own sinfulness, their own spiritual needs. No, they do not come to God with a heart full of adoration and gratitude and petition. No, they are foolish. They are foolish. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God. How much more when he brings it with evil intent. The sacrifice of fool is rendering such service as comes from an unbelieving, disobedient, and hypocritical in our hearts. Now Solomon tells us that it's important how we listen to God's word in you know, a read and explained. He's saying you, know, you should pay particular attention, you know, because God is saying something to you. And that's always the case. When we come to church, God has something to say to you. It doesn't matter who is preaching. If you listen carefully, God will speak to you. And Solomon is telling us that, that God will speak to us. It might be a man standing there, you know, speaking, but he's speaking the word of God. The Bible is God's word. We know that. The Bible tells us that. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture you know, is given by the inspiration of God, is breathed out by God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that a man of God may be complete and thoroughly furnished for every good work. The Bible is God's word. And everything we need is there in life. And that's why we preach from the Bible, that God might instruct us how we may live our lives to please him. Now, I'm preaching to you, and I'm preaching to you God's word. And I stand in the stream of men like Paul and Peter, and you know, men down through the centuries who have preached God's word. I'm nothing but God's messenger. Our prayers should be Speak, Lord, for your servant, you know, hears. Solomon says you should draw near and listen to God's word. Not just hear it, but you know, not just listen to it, but hear God's word. So I ask you, listen, how do you listen to God's word when it is preached? When the speaker began, begins to preach, how do you react? How do you listen to that preaching? Now, some people you know, tend to switch off 
after the singing and watch the speaker, you know, start speaking. And for the rest of the service, you know, their minds will be somewhere else. Others will start looking at their watch. And they do so throughout the sermon. Always, I've been to services where I've been preaching. And this is exactly what happens every time. Sometimes I feel like stopping and saying, listen, if you've got something far better to do, I think you better go now. Sometimes I've been tempted, you know, to do that, but I just didn't want to embarrass anyone. But some people are like that. They switch off. God is trying to say something to them, but they switch off. And that's an insult, you know, to God, who is trying to speak to them. Well, I really believe that um, if something is far more important than God's word, it's probably better not to come to church at all. You know, go and do whatever it is that um, is so important to you. And so Solomon says to us, be careful how you draw near to listen to the preaching of God's word. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2 says, The word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith who heard it. This is vanity. And this is how it is with some people. Now, implicit in the advice of Solomon is the need to obey God's word. Be careful how you listen. And he's saying there, make sure that you listen and then you do what God's word says. You obey what God's word says. The Lord Jesus Christ, you know, when he was um, speaking in the, on, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, when he was drawing his sermon to a close, he says this in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. If you listen well to the sermon, as I said earlier on, God will speak to you. And when that happens, obey. Do what God's word says you should do. Or else you'll be offering a sacrifice of fools to God. Now, when we come to church, we come to offer sacrifices to God. We offer sacrifices to God. Sacrifice of praise and worship to God. We bring ourselves and give ourselves to God when we come to God's house. Yes, we come to offer sacrifices to God. But we don't want to offer sacrifices of fools. In the days of Sodom, <clears throat> you know, people will offer animal sacrifices without heart in it, and they think that it will please God. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. Has the Lord great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than to the fat of rams. So God is looking to us that when he speaks to us, he will speak to us. We need to obey what he says or else we'll be offering sacrifice of fools. If your worship does not include a desire to obey God in what God says in the sermon... You know, if your sacrifice is just a mere outward performance, it will be of no value whatsoever to you. What God desires in his people is not the outward ceremonies, but the inward devotion of the heart. The highest form of worship is hearing God 
receiving from God and obeying God. That's the highest form of worship. And so Solomon tells us, be very careful how you behave in the house of God. Be very careful how you listen you know, to the sermon as it is preached. And the third instruction that he gives us, he says this. <clears throat> it says, um, for, you do not, for they do not know that they do evil. They do not consider that they do evil. These people that offer sacrifices of fools, they are not aware that what they're doing is evil. These people that come and they just have an outward form of worship without any heart, the Bible says that what they're doing is evil. These people are ignorant of the holiness of God. The God that should be worshipped in spirit and in truth. They do not realize that mere outward form of worship is evil. Only read through the Old Testament, you find time and again, you know, God, you know, chastises his people because of that. And there's no heart in their worship. These people, they worship me with their lips. They praise me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me, he says. That is, you know, to do evil in God's sight. To fail to understand the character of God that they pretend to worship. Or that the worship they pretend to offer is an evil thing. The root of all wrong worship is due to the ignorance of who God is. Ignorance of the nature of God as spiritual. Ignorance of his character as holy. Ignorance of his presence as near. Ignorance of his knowledge as all-seeing, all-knowing. And ignorance of his majesty as all-inspiring. Ignorance of his power as irresistible. These people, you know, who worship God merely from outward form, do not know how to worship God properly. And instead, they think to please God with their formal acts of devotion. And as a result, they fall into a grievous sin. The scribes and the Pharisees were so much like that. Our Lord Jesus Christ lambasted them time and again when he was alive. And so, you know, we are not, you know, to do evil. Our worship must really come from our hearts, not just from our lips. And not, you know, you know we don't come, you know, and we are distracted, you know, thinking of something else while we're supposed to be listening to the service, um, listening to the sermon. Or, you know, when we, you know, praying, when we're singing, even the singing of the hymns, we are actually addressing ourselves unto God. Hymns could be a prayer, it could be praise, it could be a petition. I mean, we, we, we sang earlier on, here from the world we turn Jesus to seek. And then, you know, here we say, may his loving voice tenderly speak. So we're asking God for something. And we should be concentrating when we, you know, sing hymns like that, you know, to God. That's when it becomes meaningful. Or else it is a sacrifice of fools and is evil in God's sight. And then in verse 2, he gives further instruction. In verse 2, do not be rash with your mouth, he says. This is God's rule for prayer. Here Solomon warns about thoughtlessness and hasty words in prayer which, you know, formed another feature of popular religion in those days. 
This warning against hasty and thoughtless words in prayer, words that go from the lips glibly, but do not come from the heart, is what Solomon is talking about here. This is the kind of prayer that does not take into account that one is standing before a holy God. And a good example is the Pharisee that came to the Lord in the temple. He comes to God in the temple. And what did he do? What did he say to God? There was a man you know, who was full of himself. And um, he thinks that um, you know, he can please God you know, with his stupid prayer. And what did he do? In Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, you know, we read about um, this Pharisee's prayer. The Pharisee stood up. He drew himself to his full height before God, very proud. And he prayed thus with himself, not to God, but to himself. Because God doesn't listen to such prayers. What did he say? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. As he comes to God, there is no sin to confess. There is no humility. There is nothing at all. He was full of himself. That's why the Bible says that he prays unto himself. And the Bible says that that man left the, you know, the temple exactly as he came in. He left the temple exactly as he came in. There was no change whatsoever in him. He didn't think that he has anything to confess. He didn't think that there was anything at all in a wrong with him. And what Solomon is against you know, here is ill-considered prayer, which is not proper prayer at all, but an outpouring of bad temper and anguish. Hasty and careless words are a reflection of the inner life. As the Lord said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, and verse 24, Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Such utterances may be profane as certainly unsuitable and unbecoming of one who professes you know, to praise you know, the living God. We must avoid endless and meaningless you know, repetitions in prayer when we come to the house of God. That is, we are not to use empty praises you know, when we empty phrases, when we come to God's house. When prayer or praise gets long, there's a danger of using vain repetitions against which the Lord Jesus Christ warned his disciples. Long and drawn out prayers you know, tend to be addressed to men rather than God. They are unnecessary and unprofitable for God does not need them. God knows exactly what is in our hearts before we ask. So when we come to God in prayer, God wants simple prayer. Pour out your heart to God. Tell God exactly you know, what you know, the situation is. He understands it. God doesn't need long, drawn-out prayer that um, does not profit anyone. Such prayers are irreverent, for they are occupied with man rather than with God. And so... Do not let your prayers be too long or drawn out. Matthew chapter 23, verse 14, you know, says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, 
you will receive greater condemnation. God is not pleased at all with long prayer without a you know, heart in it. Solomon is saying here, rather, let your words be few, as he tells us you know, at the end of um, verse 2. Let your words be few. And so we need to take heed to what Solomon is telling us here. Let our words you know, be few, you know, straight to the point. There are times when we cannot find words to express you know, ourselves and our needs, and we just groan before God. God understands our groanings. You can never impress the Lord with your vocabulary in prayer. It's a waste of time. That's an insult to God. Well, you might say to me that um, you know, the, the Lord Jesus Christ used repetition in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he did. Go and read it again, and you'll find that they are not just mere words. Jesus threw his whole heart into each time he repeats the words. We are told that he prayed so much that you no know, sweat drops of blood you know, dropped to the floor. There was intensity in his prayer. Even though he was repeating himself, there's real you know, um, engagement you know, with what he was saying. He was laying hold on God. Jesus was about to face you know, the wrath of God because of our sins. Our Lord's prayer, even though he repeats himself and says the same thing, was far from being vain repetition. Not at all. Whether the repetition is vain or not depends on the spirit of the person that prays. It is possible to pray a long prayer that is not vain. You can pray a long prayer with your heart in it, but as long as your heart is in it, that is fine. But if your heart is not in it, it's an insult to God. Better not do it at all. Don't do it at all. And so, you know, um, you know, um, Solomon, you know, tells us, you know, faithfully, says, let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. Don't let your heart offer anything hastily before God. Before God means in the temple, in the house of God, where he is especially present. Don't utter anything hastily. We should think carefully what we say to God. We should ponder whether you know, there are, you know, what we say is in God's will or not before we utter them to God. Haste before God comes from restlessness of mind and heart. Our approach to God should be first to acknowledge God. That is to praise him before setting our requests before him. That is the pattern we find in scriptures. Now, you go and read the prayers in the Bible. You'll find exactly you know, the same thing. That um, people came to God and uh, first of all, you know, they, they, you know, they praised God before they said their request before God. Now, give me, let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 24. Here they are, you know, um, you know, the disciples had been arrested and um, the church, you know, gathered together uh, to pray. It says in verse 24, when they heard that, when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord and then they said, that's Acts chapter 4 and verse 24, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea that's, and all that is in them 
who by the mouth of your servant David have said, and then they went on and on and on. And then, having praised God, having acknowledged who God is, verse 29, said, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word. And by stretching out your hands to heal and signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they came, you know, they, they, were, um, you know, they acknowledged you know, who God is. When they came to God. They didn't just come rushing to God's presence and say, Lord, you know, look at them. No, no, no. No, they paused and they acknowledged this God. And having acknowledged God, having praised God, then they presented their request to God. <clears throat> and then lastly, um, we told that um, God is in heaven. God is in heaven. In other words, Solomon is saying, when you come to God, consider who you are. Consider who you are. Heaven speaks of the greatness of God and his glory compared to man's smallness. We are to realize that God is far greater than us. He is highly exalted. He is distinct from us and he is superior to us. That is why when our Lord taught his disciples to pray, they were to say, our Father who art in heaven. They are to realize that God is greater than them, that God is in heaven, and that they are here on the earth. God is our Father, and is in heaven. And the word Father, you know, should guard against unnecessary fear of God. On the one hand, and in heaven should guard against flippancy on the other. Solomon says to restrain our tongues before such a great God is to have wisdom. We shall approach God with reverence and humility. We are sinners and shall imitate the sinner who came to the temple to pray and he cried out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Short prayer and says everything. Says everything in one sentence. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And when you analyze that term prayer, it has a lot in it. There's a lot in it. But he made it quick and sharp. And the Bible says that that man went away from there justified before God. Let our words be few, as becomes one who speaks in the presence of of an awful God. When we come to church, let us remember that God is here. We are in the presence of you know, God who is most holy, God who is majestic, God who is transcendent. He has condescended to come and meet with wretched sinners like us, who shall approach him with reverence and with fear. And I trust that this will help us as we come you know, to worship God in his house. May God bless his word to us. Amen.